Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find the audio-only live stream on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitch, on the podcast, on everywhere else that you could possibly find it. And, of course, across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, it is The Michael Duke Show. Hi, and good morning to you. Welcome to the program, Thursday edition of the show today. And we've got some things to talk about. Uh, joining us here in hour one of the broadcast today, we're going to be joined in just a few moments by uh, Representative Kevin McCabe, who uh, is uh, the representative out here for the Big Lake, Canicus Bay area in Wasilla, uh, what was formerly District 8 and now District 20-something, I think 27 now, as I try and relearn all the district numbers uh, for the different areas since the redistricting. He's going to come on board with us for a post-election roundup and talk with us a little bit about what he sees in the numbers as they're shaping up so far. Of course, uh, we know that <clears throat> with 59 of the legislative seats up for uh, up for re-election, we know that because of the uh, the lack of candidates in many of these races, that the uh, that the uh, primary election was more the more just a snapshot of what was going on because many of these seats are basically going to be. Uh, Many of these seats are basically going to be just the candidates that are in them now. The, the primary was just kind of a bellwether for what's going on. Although we did see quite a turnout. Overall, historically, primaries are uh, not that well attended. Um, usually they have about half of the uh, voters in them that you see in a general election. And if that's the case, if this is kind of a, a test run, we saw 25 to 30 percent voter turnout in some of these districts, which would mean in the end, 50 to 60 percent voter turnout that would not be a bad turnout for many of these uh, for many of these areas and so that's something to be watching for as we go through and take a look at what's happening here in the state of Alaska in hour two we're going to uh, uh, we're going to open up the phone lines and take some calls but I'm also going to talk a little bit about bureaucracy I'm going to talk about bureaucracy and uh well, Bureaucracy and licensing and limitations. There's a couple stories that uh, I want to get to that are it's it's just so frustrating to watch people trying to live their lives uh, and under a government that's supposed to be supposedly benevolent and taking care of us and doing all this stuff. And instead, it's just become a stumbling block. So we're going to talk about that as well this morning uh, on the program. Uh, don't forget, of course, as you can. Uh, you can, <clears throat> as always, you can uh, come out and join us uh, in the chat rooms. Uh, we simulcast the radio show uh, across the Internet on Facebook and YouTube, where if you want to participate there, not only can you see my lovely, smiling, bearded face, 
that's really not a plus. But you can join us in the chat room and hang out with other Alaskans who are in here as well, uh, who, um, you know, <clears throat> have something to say and may want to talk about different things. Sometimes we'll get questions in the chat room. Um, and uh, it's good for, you know, during the commercial breaks or whatever, we get a chance to chat with the guests or with the chat room. And uh, it's kind of, it's just another level of interactivity that you don't normally get on regular radio. So it's something fun. <clears throat> it's something fun and something new. And we're looking forward to seeing you here in the chat room as well. So come on out and join us. Now, don't forget, you can support the show uh, in a way uh, not normally found on uh, on regular radio, but uh, we like to see it. We have this thing called the Common Sense Core, uh, which is our, well, it's our cool kids club. It's the fan club, right? Uh, but it also helps support the show. Recently, we got uh, some new upgrades and software and some other things. And all of that stuff was financed by the help and support of listeners and members of the Common Sense Corps. You also get access to our private Facebook group where it's just Common Sense Corps members. Uh, we get to share ideas and hang out and talk and do things like that. Uh, and so go check it out. Uh, for as little as a cup of coffee a, a month, you can uh, be part of the program and help uh, and help support what we're doing. All you got to do is go to uh, themichaeldukeshow.com and click on Join the Corps, or you can go directly to patreon.com slash Michael Duke show to help support us. And uh, yes, it is a financial support. So if you like the show and you like what you're hearing and you want to help and be part of it, that's where you go. You go over there and uh, it, uh, it hooks us up and gets us uh, squared away. All right. Um, so some headlines, <clears throat> some headlines this morning that I want to uh, talk about. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we will, you know, we, we kind of touched on this the other day, but now the Division of Elections has done an update on, uh, as of Tuesday afternoon, they have updated the latest ballot counts as additional ballots have come rolling in. Now, again, the results from the special U.S. House race will not be known until August 31st. Um, that's when the division is expecting all of the second place votes, uh, the the all the ballots, the absentees from overseas and everything else will be here. And then they'll be able to tally the second place votes and do all the tabulations in the first ranked choice voting election in the state. Now, on Tuesday, uh, they had uh, all the additional ballots had come in uh, so far. The, the division of elections, according to the ADN, has counted nearly 130 let me do this again, has counted nearly 180,000 ballots for a turnout rate of nearly 30%. And uh, they're expected to have more ballots by the end of the week. So this is, a, again, uh, a pretty good turnout for a you know primary election. Now, the special general election, the special uh, ranked choice was, that was the thing. You had a primary election, and on the same day, you had a special general. So I think you're seeing a skewing of some of those numbers because of that. Um, but it uh, it's it's definitely interesting to watch. Again, they won't have the final count until August the 31st, and then they are going to be certifying the election results on September 2nd. Now, Peltola, Mary Peltola, is the Democrat in the race, and she is currently... Uh, ahead in the counting. 
Um, she's a Democrat and a former lawmaker. She would be the first Alaska Native elected to Congress if she succeeds. And she grew her lead with this last round of vote counting and now currently has 38.9% of first place votes. Uh, Sarah Palin, who of course uh, is well known, is uh, running for office for the first time since her run for vice president, has 31%, 31.4% of the vote, and uh, Nick Begich is trailing with about 28.2% of the vote. And you've got about 1.5% of the votes counted so far as write-ins. So that is in fourth place, 1.5% uh, as write-ins. Now, according to the ADN and their analysis, they say Begich is unlikely to make up the difference to overtake Palin for second place. And so this will probably be a race between Peltola and Palin. The question, of course, is how many of Nick Begich supporters ranked Sarah Palin as second on their ballots? Peltola currently has a seven-point lead over Palin um, as, as she rolls into this. But again, Palin has 31%. Nick Begich has 28.2%. What is, uh, you know, what's going to come of this? So first and foremost, you have four, you have four um, uh, positions. Peltola, Palin, Baggage, and the write-in candidates. The write-in candidates are coming in fourth, but they don't name a write-in candidate. Now, this is going to be interesting because, for example, in my case, I voted for Chris By. I wrote him in. He was a write-in candidate. I wrote him in and voted for him as number one. Then I chose Nick Baggage as number two, and I chose Sarah Palin as number three. If there is rounds of voting, the first thing that they'll have to do is drop off the lowest. This is how it works, right? You got four candidates. The lowest one drops off. So how many of the write-in candidates voted for Nick or Palin as their second choice? Well, those votes will then be distributed. Now, there's only 1.5% write-in votes. So that's really not going to make a difference between Palin and Baggage too much with 28.2% for Baggage and 31%. I mean, it's already a three-point spread between Baggage and Palin. So that's pretty much locked in. So then the question becomes, you know, the second and third place votes, where do, where do we go from there? How many of Nick Baggage's voters voted for Sarah Palin in second or third place? If you assume that a goodly chunk did, and I mean, even if, look, if you assume it's 31% and 28%, that's nearly 60% of the overall vote count between the two of them. Even if you assume that, uh, you know, a good two-thirds of the people who voted for Nick Baggage voted for Sarah Palin third, she's at 50%. Uh, there is not enough... Uh, I mean, they're, they're crowing. <clears throat> I'm not say. I guess crowing is not the right word. But there's been a lot of insinuation from some of the different columns and things that I'm reading that well, Peltola is just going to make it. She, what was the the headline that I saw? Her long shot just became a lot shorter. I mathematically don't see how. I, I just don't mathematically see how she can reach the the. The finish line after they rank the the different ballots. Now, there's still more ballots to come in. If by August the 31st, in the next six days, she gets a sign. I mean, she's she's not even at 40 percent. 
Peltola is not even, she's a 38.9. So I know it's only 1% away, Mike, but you, you've got 60% voting for the two Republican candidates. How, um, I guess, how stubborn do you think that the baggage candidates or the baggage voters were? I mean, like I said, I ranked by baggage and Palin. So I put Palin at the at, on my, but I put her at the end. If people were not were just voting straight party lines and not work like I was voting for the Libertarian, if you weren't voting for the Libertarian, what you know? What, what's your thought process? Do you are you one and done? If you voted for Palin and not for Baggage, is are you one or did you vote for Baggage and not for Palin? Or do you think, as the Republican Party was attempting when they were talking about this rank the red thing? Do you think that the uh, do you think that baggage I think I think baggage voters would be more inclined to vote for Palin as their second choice versus the other way around. Now, the one thing that didn't help was the negativity on this campaign. And I don't know who is advising Nick Baggage on this. But I definitely would not have gone the route that they did as far as trying to be. And this is a classic Republican problem where they just beat the hell out of each other. In, you know, normally, it was in the primaries, right? They just beat the P. Wadden out of each other in the primaries, and then one of them wins, and then everybody's got to make nice for the general. Well, you said all these bad things about me, but now you're supporting me for the general. It never made sense to me. So I don't know who was advising baggage on this, because I think it may have soured some people on him, quite honestly. I heard a lot of chit-chat about how they couldn't stand these negative ads. I think it, I think that was a mistake. But I think overall, if the rank the red message from the Republicans got through, then hopefully a lot of baggage supporters wrote in Sarah Palin in second place. In which case, I think, as you see, what we've talked about previously is that usually the person that is the second one the, the in second place in the first round of uh, multiple rounds usually wins. I think that that, that axiom may hold true. That that may hold true. Anyway, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. And of course, in the regular primary election for the uh, U.S. House seat, Peltola again is in uh, first place at thirty six percent. Palin in second place at thirty percent. Baggage at twenty six point five percent. Tara Sweeney was in fourth place at three point seven percent, but she has dropped out, which brings our friend. Chris Bai into the fold. Chris Bai is now in fourth place, and he is going to appear on the ranked choice ballot in November, giving libertarians a real choice, which ought to be very, very interesting. So that's kind of the, the latest analysis with the latest vote count. Of course, nothing official until the 31st. We'll know more by then. We're going to talk about the rest of the state races with uh, Representative Kevin McCabe, who's up next. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Good morning. What is that? Common sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Okay, we're uh, in the break right now. 
continuing on, we're going to bring uh, Kevin McCabe onto the program here in just a hot second. Let me go through the comments real quick before I bring Kevin on, just so I'm not uh, trying to do it while he's uh, uh, staring at his screen. Uh, let's see. Exactly one week until moose. I can see where your priorities are. Willie's like, one week until moose season. Um, good morning from the coffee cartel in Kodiak. Stute still sucks. I don't know what the coffee cartel does, but I'm interested. That's all I want to find out. Um, <clears throat> he, uh, researched Doug Massey. He's pretty motivated. It's going to be a tough race, says Harold. Uh, interestingly enough, I did receive an email from the Massey campaign yesterday saying, well, we don't know how you've been trying to reach us, but we're here. Uh, so we're, we're going to see if we can get, uh, Doug Massey on the program to talk about some of his positions as well. Um, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, good morning. Happy anniversary. Bill says, thank you. That was yesterday it was our 31st anniversary. My wife and I's anniversary yesterday, 31 years. Uh, but remember it's only one of two anniversaries cause we got married twice. So October 12th is really the big day. That is the big day. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Looks like the rain is going on. I don't know. It's, I hope the, I don't know, this rain, just rain is just go away. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's get ready to do it. We're going to jump into it with Kevin McCabe, see what he has to say, dive on over there and get a feel for, uh, how his morning is going. Let's, uh, let's get a start to this and see what's going on. Good morning, sir. How, uh, how are you doing this morning? Good morning, Michael. Doing well. Thanks. Hey, thanks for coming on board. Uh, you uh, you guys are all ready, uh, and I know it's an early morning for you. I appreciate you coming in and uh, and joining us. Although you did say you were an early morning guy, I gave you the option, and you're like, "I'll take hour one," which is like <laughs> I would be sleeping in if I could. But you know, that's just not how it works around here. Right. Well, twenty plus years of freight dog flying, and you just learn to get up when you're told. I guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, all right. Well, we're uh, we're just a few minutes out here. Um, why don't you give us a before we jump back into the radio? Um, you know, how's uh, how's the quiet life been since getting out of the legislature and now just having to deal with nothing but uh, re-election madness? How's how's the quote unquote quiet life going for you? Yeah. So it turns out that in the re-election year, there's lots to do, and especially in the re-election year when there's no COVID restrictions, there's lots to do for a legislature legislators so i've been uh i've been running pretty steadily for two weeks so good good but, well you know it's uh busy people get things done is what they say right i mean that's kind of the old mantra is that we gotta we gotta get things rolling and we gotta get them done so uh yeah. all right well we're gonna uh, we're gonna put you back here in the green room for just a second we know we're ready here we're about 60 seconds out so i'm going to uh Come back to the uh, to the other folks here and uh, tell them and remind them that, of course, <clears throat> we would love for you to share the show this morning. We would love for you to, sh regardless of where you're at, if you're on YouTube, you can share it to your socials. If you're on Twitch, you can share it. If you're on Facebook, you can share it. And then, of course, the other important thing is, is that we would really love, especially you folks who are on Facebook, if you would do me the favor of going over to YouTube and subscribing and ringing the bell on YouTube, you can come right back to Facebook. You're like, I'm not a Facebook person. I, or I'm not a YouTube person. I like to be on Facebook. Well, that's fine. But if you could go over to YouTube and like and follow the show on YouTube, 
that would be awesome. And then you can come right back to Facebook because that's what you're used to, because that's what you like. Um, all you got to do is I'll drop the link in the chat room. You can go over to YouTube real quick and uh, and hit the subscribe and ring the bell and then scurry right back over here to Facebook. That's fine. That's fine. I'm just looking to get that subscriber number up on YouTube so I can open and unlock some certain things that the channel can do. And I'm, I'm really working hard at it. So if you would do that for me, I know many of you have, and I'm very grateful to you for doing that. But if you haven't do it yet, then uh, please jump over there and, uh, and, and hit us with it. Okay. All right. That ding means that we've got to get back onto it. Let's get to it. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio, like it, share, like it, share, blah, 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 blah. Let's do it. All right, welcome back to the program. Thanks for continuing with us. Uh, we are jumping into it now. Kevin McCabe is the uh, GOP state rep for what was District 8 and is now District, uh, I think, 27, I think is the number. I, I, 30. 30. See, I knew it was a high number. This is the thing. It takes me 10 years to learn the districts, and I feel pretty confident about it, and then they flip them again, and then I've lost my mind. Uh, Kevin McCabe joins us this morning to talk about uh, post-election stuff and everything else. My friend, uh, how is life treating you post-session and into the uh, into the election season? How are things uh, How are things going for you? Uh, we're doing pretty good. You know, I did a uh, uh, open house at the DOT facility in uh, on the Seward Meridian yesterday, and that was sort of fun seeing all the DOT folks and uh, talking to them, especially about the concerns that uh, my constituents have for Big Lake Road and a few other roads. So, um, that was um, that was very interesting, and you know, been doing uh, doing a few other things. Uh, one of the gold mine tours I was had scheduled up north was canceled because of the weather. They're still recovering from a week's worth of not flying because of uh, the low fog in the ceilings and that sort of stuff. So looking forward to that. Going to go to the Wasilla High School maybe two weeks from now or a week and, uh, and investigate their new um, fire sciences program that uh, trains juniors and seniors. So when you graduate, you have a, a uh, firefighter one certificate and you can get a job anywhere in the U.S. as a firefighter. So lots of very interesting things happening with the uh, with the matsu schools frankly and i'm very impressed and i'm looking forward to that tour so all right well a great thing now of course we just went through the election process with the primary and we know again full disclosure the primary is nothing more than a snapshot it's a it's a poll it's just a little bit of a it's a it's a fork in the road that gives you a little bit of a look down the way there to see where things are going there's nothing set in stone um, but it's the only, and I guess here's the thing, it's the only analysis we have on how things are shaping up at the moment. We have really no other guideposts to go through, so that's what we're using is the primary. Um, now, surprisingly enough, as I mentioned earlier, generally speaking, in a primary, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the turnout is, is fairly low compared to a general election. Uh, but in this one, we saw we saw districts that had 20, 25, 30 percent voter turnout. Um, some were low, some were in the nine single digits, nine, 10, 12 percent. 
Um, but a lot of them were 20, 25, 26, 30 percent turnout, which I think shows that one of two things. Either this is a full function of the fact that we had a special general election along with the primary or that people are more motivated to get out and have their voices be heard. Uh, Kevin, what uh, what say you on this? Well, I'm sure. So this was a state sponsored opinion poll, like uh, like you said. Um, and it was, uh, I think people are really wanting to hear their, uh, get their voices heard, especially, um, as you said as well, the special general with, uh, uh, to fill uh, Congressman Young's seat was, uh, is a very big motivator and a big draw. Uh, he was so important to the state for so long. And I think people, uh, they want a voice in who represents us next. So. A combination of factors, but yeah, I agree. Thirty percent is a good turnout. If we can get, man, if we could get to fifty percent for the general um, with the same sort of draw, that would be uh, that would be pretty amazing. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It would be an amazing turnout. At I mean, if you get a fifty percent voter turnout, that's astonishing. If the numbers held true and you got between a fifty-five and a sixty percent voter turnout. That uh, that is even uh, I mean, that's that's even better. Uh, but let's first I guess we'll start off. I want to talk about a bunch of the races that are around there. But first, let's talk about your race um, <clears throat> so far. Again, just a snapshot. I, I, I don't want to overstate it too much. Um, I know there's people that squawk about it in the chat room that we're wasting time about going over the primary because it means nothing. But again, it is the only research point that we have or touchstone that we have on how the election is going so far. Um, but let's uh, take a look. So you came away with a new recount from Tuesday. You came away with 47.36% of the vote. Uh, your, op- your opponent on the Republican side, Doyle Holmes, came away with 27. And then Joy Mendiola um, with 24.7%. So you've got a pretty significant lead in everything. And you look at, you know, it's looking well for you overall. But again, you don't you don't grow weary and well doing. This is just a snapshot. Give me your thoughts on the breakout as you've seen it so far from uh, from those election uh, results. Well, my thoughts are I have some work to do. Um, frankly, Healy, I need to get back up to Healy and talk to the folks up there. I'm a little disappointed in uh, in how I did up there. Uh, uh, Willow as well and Trapper Creek. Those three places will be a place. You know, those will be focus areas for me uh, for sure. Um, I was, I'm a little disappointed to see that the Democrat who nobody knows, she doesn't have a Facebook presence, social media presence, no signs out, nobody knows her. She has no bio in the division of elections, uh, in the division of elections pamphlet. And she hasn't filed an APOC report or any money collected, any money, nobody, and nobody knows her. And she got 24% of the vote. So, um, I think that's emblematic of the problem we have in the United States these days is the the low information or the voters that just vote for the party. And uh, and I would urge those um, that voted for her maybe to check me out and see uh, if you think that I can work for the state of Alaska across the aisle. And and those uh, those are the kinds of things that I'll be messaging to the voters in Denali Park and Talkeetna that seem to have voted uh, sort of in mass for uh, for her just because of the d after her name i believe well and or maybe it's a 
against Republicans, that could be as well. well. And so. that was going to be my point to say, I mean, it's any port in the storm when you've got two Republicans and a Democrat. And I definitely don't I don't know anything about the Republicans, but I definitely don't want to vote for them. And I see one D on there. I mean, I think it's probably as much a factor as the of that as it is of anything else. I mean, it, it, it I think it's a much as much a factor of the fact that she was the only D on the card. And uh, and, you know, you guys are, uh, you know, and like you said, it could have been as much an anti-Republican vote as it was a vote for her on any merits, because nobody really knows what her merits are at this point. Right. Yeah, and it's, you know, I, th- I think it's important to check the candidates out to look at, especially for me, I, I actually have a record in the legislature. And uh, I worked uh, very hard with uh, Garantar, Reptar and I, who we could not, on most things, could not be more diametrically opposed on some of the bigger issues. But we agreed to put those aside and work on an issue that we could agree on that is better for the state of Alaska and those kinds of things, regardless of how conservative I am on most on issues like that, I find that uh, there are some overlapping things that the state needs that we can work on together. And I would hope that Democrats that uh, voted for uh, for Joy, just based on the D after her name, would take a look at me and see what they think. Okay. Well, again, acknowledging even with a 47% vote, which I think most people would say is a pretty hefty margin, you, uh, you know, you say you got, uh, you know, you've got more work to do in the district. So, and you, and you mentioned specifically up in the Healy area. I mean, you're looking at this from a district by district basis then and look at the, what the breakdown is. What were you seeing up there? What kind of response were you seeing? Because Healy is generally speaking a pretty conservative area. Um, what were you seeing up there that uh, has got you worried? Sure. So uh, Doyle and I are about half and a half up there, and, and uh, Joy actually had some uh, traction up there as well. And uh, uh, Mike Shower and I, Senator Shower and I, went up there to the Blueberry Festival and had a booth, and uh, we had an event up there. And um, so I just think that we need to continue to do that and continue to get our message out, and maybe even do some uh, some door knocking up there and lit drops and that sort of thing, and make sure that people know um, who they're voting for up there. Uh, you know, I think they, they p- quite possibly they look at uh, at Doyle Holmes at, at, uh, and see that he lives in Willow. He's a little bit closer to them and maybe he understands their issues better. And I just uh, need to make sure that I'm getting the message across that I'm willing to go all the way up there and talk to them. I mean, it's a four hour drive to Healy and not that I mind that, you know, kind of like the Kind of like that drive, as I'm sure you're aware of. You do it occasionally up to Fairbanks. I, I so. love the window time. I love the, it's right? just me and myself, and I turn my phone off, and away I go. It's just me and window time. I love it. Right. Um, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the um, opposition you faced here. I want to get into the rest of the races, but we'll finish this segment out on some of the opposition. Of course, um, I don't spend a lot of time on social media. I mean, ironically, because I do the whole show on Facebook and YouTube and everything, but outside of the show, I hardly spend any time on social media. But even with as little time as I do, I was still seeing the ads, uh, Kevin McCabe, boy, you hate guns, you hate babies, you hate children, you hate all these things. Um, things that I just, I've known you for years. Uh, I've known your positions, uh, and I've got other people like, especially on like the guns issues, uh, people who are in the gun community 
you know, savagely defending you. And yet these ads just seem to continue to roll across my screen about how you uh, you hate uh, you, you hate guns and you hate gun owners and you are all for the murder of children. And and I, uh, I I'm wondering, did that seem to have any effect? And I mean, what has been going on with that? Give us some backstory here and, and how you've been handling it. Yeah, well, I'm sure it has some effect, especially with people that don't know me. I've had a couple dozen phone calls about it and, uh, and talked to, about both of them and talked to folks and explained my positions. And, you know, truthfully, this is coming from a, a group of guys, actually one guy who is Rep Eastman's best friend. And uh, he didn't like the fact that I, uh, Ben Carpenter and myself, tabled a few of Rep Eastman's amendments that we didn't really have time to look at. And, uh, you know, low, low information guy who doesn't quite understand the way the legislature works and doesn't understand that tabling is not killing. It's just an attempt to get some more time to completely understand an amendment before you vote yes or no. on it. I think it's the responsible thing for a legislator to do. And we did it. Uh, these intent language amendments that we had no clue what they really meant because they were introduced so late. So. Um, we did that and it made him angry and he's using his platform and he's a board member on uh, the, uh, I think it's called Alaska Gun Rights. And he's also the principal agent for Alaska Right to Life. Very fancies himself an activist and, you know, maybe he is. Um, but anytime that you have a little money that's donated from the people that you can use. So he's spending other people's money to put these uh, untrue and um, frankly libelous ads out on Facebook. Um, uh, you know, it's it's frustrating to see that people are donating to him and their money is used to, to spread lies about me. You know, when you really look at it, Michael, the, the Republicans, <laughs> uh, Eastman, myself, others, we all want to get to the same place. This is a process thing. And uh, they disagree with my process. So they're trying to bind me to them by uh, making me feel pain through these ads. And, uh, you know, so... You deal with it the best you can. I think I have pretty thick skin, but uh, it does hurt to see the two things that I most hold dear in my values be used against me. It's interesting to see. Again, I was saying this earlier before you came on that this is a this is a Republican problem where we uh, circle the wagons and shoot inward at each other. Uh, I mean, that money that's being donated to the gun rights thing and to the Alaska right to those monies should have been used against candidates on the uh, left side who are completely philosophically opposed to uh, pro, you know, pro-life ideas or pro-gun ideas. And yet instead it's being used on one of their own. And it's this, it's kind of like this shame campaign that they're trying to wage against people who don't think exactly like they think or want to do things incrementally instead of all in one fell swoop, which I think is nearly an impossibility in reality. Um, but this is this is a classic Republic. You don't see the Democrats, generally speaking, tearing each other up in primaries right. or in secondary things. They, they kumbaya a lot of the times. And I'm not saying that we all have to get along all the time, but we shouldn't we shouldn't be shooting at each other inside the circle as we're trying to protect the overall ideal of conservatism or smaller government, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, you know, when they, when this first surfaced, this is this guy's name is a, is a guy named Pat Martin. And he's well known by all the conservatives because he's attacked everybody from Shelley Hughes to George Rauscher to to everybody. I'm just his latest and greatest victim. But. When you talk to the people, to the Democrats on the floor, I, I walked back and had a conversation with Adam Wool, 
And I mentioned Pat Martin's name and he said, well, who's Pat Martin? So here's the Alaska right to life guy who everybody in Republican circles knows him and knows what he's done to Republicans. And the Democrat pro-abortion guy, probably the most pro-abortion guy on the floor, doesn't know who he is. That's a problem. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, again, we've got to quit. We've got to quit eating our own. And again, I'm not a Republican, but uh, the Republicans probably are the most identifiable to me as far as my values. And so, conservatives and smaller government people have got to stop eating their own. That's just it doesn't it doesn't work out. All right, uh, Kevin McCabe is our guest. Hold the line, Kevin. We'll be right back to you, folks. We got to continue. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We will return with more and Kevin McCabe and the rest of the legislative races right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're back uh, in the break with Kevin. Um, uh, Yeah, no, there was a problem with uh, the microphone. That was my problem, not Kevin's problem. I had something flipped here in my new software that I wasn't aware of. I thought I was... I thought I was being smart and trying to control things, and I should have just let the software do it, and that was me, not Kevin. The software is much smarter than I am, and uh, it uh, cleaned it right up, so it's uh, it's a good thing. Um, let's go out back to the uh, to the chat room here to see some of the things that uh, people have been talking about. Um, uh, it, it here's an interesting comment: uh, Eastman needs to be voted out of Juno, says Harold. Uh, and then follows it up with, used to be a big supporter, but his insistence on the big lie, big steal ended our support. Uh, also, of course, the fact that he's, uh, you know, kind of this whole attitude of, if you don't agree with me 100%, then you must be 100% against me. And Kevin, I think this is part of that problem. This is really what we saw in the left-right, you know, uh, debacle over the years. If if you didn't agree with us 100%, then you must be 100% against us instead of finding that common ground that we could agree on. Um, and we should be leading the way on this. I mean, I mentioned incrementalism versus the big step theory. Uh, you know, what we should do it in all one fell swoop. Well, we didn't get here in all one fell swoop. And I don't think that there's any possibility, barring some kind of catastrophic black swan event, that we're ever going to step 100% back to to more liberty, uh, less government intrusion, all these other kind of things. It has to be done incrementally. Right. You know, interestingly, uh, we signed that license plate, single license plate bill into, into law a week or 10 days ago. And under his breath, Governor Dunleavy said, with the signature Alaskans gain a little bit more liberty. And he's exactly right. We need to go after this a little bit at a time. You know, and as far as as far as David Eastman, he has had some brilliant amendments. I've voted with him many times. I don't dislike David at all. I think he's a really smart guy. You know, and everybody says, well, you're attacking him. No, no, I'm not. I, I just object to some of the methods he uses. And I'm not going to bind my constituents vote because it's not my vote. It's their vote to David Eastman blindly i'm going to look at everything that he comes up with and and if it's a decent amendment i'll vote i don't vote for the person i vote for the amendment or the bill and uh, you know that's the problem is our politics has become in my opinion too 
personalized. Um, you know, people we tend to vote for the person and not the not the bill. So. Right. Well, and I've said the same thing. I mean, I, I philosophically, I'm in agreement with David Eastman probably 80% of the time, maybe even more, maybe 85%. The problem is it matters not just the destination, but the journey, how you get there. You know, it matters how it's not the ends justifies the means. It is the means has to be part of it. We have to, you know, and we have to work with people. We We have to realize that and this is like going back to my Firearms Friday thing. I don't get super radical uh, in certain things because I understand that what we have to do is educate the people who are in the middle of these debates, who maybe are not on one side or the other or who are mildly on one side or the other. And we have to sway them. We have to persuade them. We have to show them what's going on. And if you're just all or nothing and you throw everybody else out the thing or you actively attack the people who could be, that, that's just, it's just not the way to go. Right. You know, and it, I, I'll, I'll give you a, a really good example. During the floor debate on the, on the, of the red flag law, I walked over and was seen talking to Adam Wool and some, uh, some folks gave me a little bit of crap about it. What are you doing? Why are you talking to the, you know, the opposition? Well, I was talking to him because he didn't know that there was a law in place that required that a, that a lock be sold with every gun. I think it was a 2005 law. And right. every time you buy a gun, you get a lock that locks the barrel open or locks the trigger or some sort of a, some sort of a lock that comes with it. Typically they're a cable lock that goes through the chamber and that's a law. And he didn't know that. And so I was over there educating him. And, and of course, those that don't like me talking to Democrats, I, I immediately got some emails saying, Hey, what are you doing? And yeah. So I think it's important exactly what you said is we need to communicate and we need to talk and we need to, the people inside the debate to understand exactly uh, what what is true and what's not true. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Kevin McCabe is our guest. We are uh, just about a minute out right now uh, getting ready to dive back into this quickly. Uh, we'll do this again on the radio, but do you have any uh, meet and greets or things where you're going out to see people? Sure, we have a couple uh, this Sunday. We have two actually, one in Big Lake at the Big Lake Lions Club. And the earlier one is going to be out at uh, Point McKenzie at the new community center that they have put out there. Mike Shower and I will both be there. The Big Lake Lions Club, we will both be there. I think we're bringing bar, uh, sort of a potluck barbecue stuff to uh, to Port McKenzie and um, uh, one or two. <laughs> I can't remember what the what's what's happening at each one but shower and i will be at each one and then uh, next weekend we're gonna have uh two more and it'll be shower and i or maybe only one more right well it's Uh, september 3rd i'm sorry i'm I'm being directed by my campaign manager okay (laughs) all right well hold the line here kevin we're going to be right back to you folks the michael duke show continues common sense liberty-based free-thinking radio please again go out to youtube if you haven't yet like and share and subscribe All right, welcome back to the program. Hour one continues with the Michael Duke Show. Our current guest is Kevin McCabe, who, of course, uh, is the current uh, representative for the Big Lake uh, Wasilla KGB area up into Healy and kind of all around the places. 
Um, it was District 8. Now it's going to be District 30. He joins us this morning. We were talking about his campaign uh, and some of the things that he's doing. And uh, we're going to uh, we're going to get uh, more information and some events that he's going to be holding here before we get going on too far. But let's jump over and talk a little bit about some of the other races now. From some analysis that we had earlier uh, this week, uh, Kevin, we could see that it looks like the House is it has a potential, a shot at it anyway, of retaking the majority in the House. Unfortunately, it also looks like there may be a potential for the conservatives, uh, small government conservatives, to lose the majority in the Senate, which would be kind of ironic in the long run. But what's your take overall on the state races in the legislature as you look at them on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, that's uh, so you're exactly right. We do have a shot at taking the majority in the House, and the Senate uh, looks a little bit less sure. There are four or five races in the Senate that we're watching very closely. Mia Costello, um, who historically works very hard and knocks many doors, and we're hoping that she can pull it off. Roger Holland as well. Uh, Jim Matherly in Fairbanks uh, is neck and neck, essentially, with Kawasaki, and Matherly is very well-liked and has a great following up there. Um, and, and then there's a few dark horses. The uh, um, Andrew Satterfield, uh, who is the Republican running between Garantar and Forrest Dunbar, you know, depending on how bad those two campaigns uh hate each other essentially how many of them rank Satterfield second Uh, he stands a real shot and he's a great guy he's a good campaigner he's a businessman and he's out there knocking doors and that sort of stuff you know kind of a dark horse doesn't have much money but he's doing the work and his wife is doing the work and I think that uh, that could be a um, that could be a game changer so there's a few of those that we're watching um, very closely and uh, as far as the House, uh, the, the uh, Bart LeBon race concerns me a little bit. The new numbers out with him, uh, the Democrat. Of course, he's won before with just one vote, vote but, um, and you, you know, I'll probably get dumped on again because Bart's not uh, the most conservative. He's more of a moderate Republican, but he's a Republican at the end of the day. And uh, he can be convinced. And he, you know, if you talk to him, he's willing to listen. So, um, uh, you know, if we don't have Republicans, majority Republicans, we're not going to get to the majority and we're not going to have committee chairs and it's going to be a, that'll be frustrating. So we need BART. Right. And Well, I think it's interesting because I said retake the majority and uh, Chris, uh, Chris over on Twitch says retake the majority. Republicans already had the majority and they blew it. And we both know that that's really kind of the case. That's what happened is that we did have a majority and uh, the, the conservatives, the Republicans, those of us that are smaller government conservatives, and yet it did get blown and specifically by some of the players that are now working their way in over towards the Senate. Sure. And, uh, you know, Speaker Stutes, Louise Stutes, um, she went to she was the first to leave the Republican caucus. We had uh, 23 Republicans, I believe. And she was the first one to go and she left because she didn't want to operate without a binding caucus and because she had some issues with, frankly, with David Eastman. So those are the two reasons she gave us when she left our caucus. And if, if people kind of remember the timeline, it was then made it 20, 2020. Um, 
And uh, that's why we took a month to finally come up with a speaker. And I'm sure that her speakership was part of the factors, one of the factors that she left for. I don't know what was promised or what was talked about, but anyway, so that was the, that definitely was the very first frustration right. uh, in our, in our caucus. Uh, now the Senate races uh, also again are interesting. Uh, you you mentioned that Mike Shower and you are kind of campaigning together because he covers a lot of your district and you cover a lot of his. Um, and of course, he right now is facing a uh, a well known name in the Canicus Bay area, which is uh, a new part of his district. Um, uh, but we've seen others. I mean, again, uh, Kelly Merrick specifically, uh, who I thought didn't have a chance in hell of getting reelected in Eagle River, and now we're seeing a lot of those votes moving there. Now, maybe it's special interest, and because it was a primary, and yada yada yada. I don't know, but uh, there are some uh, there are some. Uh, uh, seats there that are kind of on the tipping point, and I think that that's uh, pretty worrying. Sure, yeah, Kelly Merrick, uh, and, and it's the same with uh, Kathy Geisel. Frankly, Roger Holland's been knocking doors in in the new part of his district, and he said people there don't understand who Kat, uh, Kathy Geisel is. Well, it's the same thing in Eagle River. A lot of new folks are because of redistricting, and they've heard the word Merrick and they knew that she was pretty powerful on the, as a co-chair on the house finance. And, uh, you know, they're not as aware of what happened early on in our, in the formation of the 32nd legislature. So yeah, the, the education needs to be there. And you know, uh, Mike showers, a different story. Um, you know, Mike's got a, a fellow Republican running against him and I'm campaigning and supporting Mike Shower because I just think that his positions are closer to the positions in in my district. You know, each Senate has two houses. Right. And as far as the house that I represent or the district that I re represent in the house, um, those folks position are closer to showers than they are to Massey's. What's your message to voters out there right now, especially again, smaller conservative, uh, you know, smaller government conservatives out there? What's your what's your message to them as a candidate and as a representative uh, for the upcoming election? I mean, what should they be looking for? Uh, what are you? I mean, my message to voters would be to call and, and talk to your representative. It's a little bit hard still in some of these districts to walk doors. For instance, Cronk's district, Cronk's doing really well, but his district is an example. I think he has 35 villages that you can't even drive to. So how do you how do you get there? Do you charter an airplane or do you hook a ride somehow? And you know how do you get there and talk to the people? So calling is very very important. And you know I think people need to understand that it's not my vote. It's not your representative vote. It, it, it's your vote, and you need to make your wishes to your representative known. So if you want to talk about uh, a full PFD, statutory PFD, follow the law or change the law, uh, election integrity. We're involved in all of those. In fact, my wife just got back from the Mike Lindell thing in Springfield, uh, where she spent two days as sort of my representative and one of the women's clubs representative and uh, investigating or listening to the speakers down there and listening to some of the issues with our last election. And frankly, that's becoming or percolating to the top pretty rapidly, even more so than the PFD is finding a way to solve our election uh, election problems, whether they be fraud or not. There, there's lots of evidence, lots of smoke that there was a, a, a goodly amount of fraud, but there's, there's also problems. There's problems with the Eric uh, 
database. There's problems with the Dominion voting machines. It's a problem when there's so many people on the voter rolls in Alaska that shouldn't be there. I mean, we we register people to vote via the PFD and it's all automatic. Why can't we remove them from the voter rolls when they pass away right. automatically through yeah. the statistics? It's just crazy to me. It is crazy. Uh, when, what's your next uh, event, Kevin, here? I'm down to less than 45 seconds here. Um, so uh, this Sunday, it, uh, the, uh, the first event is at the um, Point McKenzie Community Center in the new commun- uh, park there. And that is uh, early in the day, I think, one, one to three. And uh, then we have another one uh, at the Big Lake Lions Club after that from like six to uh, eight. Okay. Uh, where do folks go to find out more about you? So uh, Facebook, it's Vote Kevin McCabe. You can go to Kevin uh, votekevinmccabe.com. I'm sorry, .org. Okay. And, uh, yep, you can find me there. Appreciate it. Kevin McCabe, thanks for it. Folks, Hour 2, Dead Ahead, The Michael Duke Show. All right, Kevin, uh, one final bite at the apple. Anything I missed today? Anything that uh, we should be, uh, anything that we should have talked about but didn't? Or uh, any thoughts that have been spurred by our conversations today? You got about, I give you like three minutes here to basically uh, clear the decks and talk about whatever it is that you want to talk about. How about that? Yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, that I wanted to talk about is the, the uh, you mentioned earlier, the going negative. So we we are trying uh, my campaign. We're trying desperately not to go negative, not to put the dirt out there. And I have seen a bunch of you mentioned the Nick Nick uh, Baggage, some of the negative ads. Those were frustrating. Uh, Kelly Shabaka has has done a few of those texts. That's very frustrating. Was standing next to a pretty uh, uh, pretty wealthy uh, constituent uh, several weeks ago, and some text message came in on his phone and he showed it to me. He said, this is a mistake. Alaskans don't like this. And I think it says something about lying, lazy Lisa. You can say what you need to say without the first two words, uh, right, you know? Right. And, and I, I definitely think we need to differentiate each other and to understand the differences in policy, but we don't need to go after each other like that. So, so that's, that's right. my first thought. Differences in policy are one thing. Ad hominem attacks are something completely different, and that's the thing. I mean, I'm a, I agree with you. First thing, if I start seeing something that says lying, lazy, scumbag, I mean, whatever it is in the thing against an opponent, I mean, I may agree that they're not the right uh, uh, that they're not the right candidate, but nobody's winning from that kind of verbiage and that kind of language. Right, and and we just need to get back to focusing on the issues. You know, it's just. I'm in the fisheries committee, and for too long we have focused on this stakeholder or that stakeholder, commercial fish or sport fish or drift netters. We need to focus on the resource. You know, while we're all busy fighting each other, the resource is dwindling, and we need to find ways to bring the resource back into the into the fold. And it's, you know, we talked earlier about Eastman and myself and others, and we just need to quit that. It's why are we tearing each other down over process? We all want the same thing, you know. We all want our Second Amendment uh, protected. We all want babies' lives, preborn lives protected. It's the process that we're squabbling over, and it cheapens our message. I think. Yeah. No. Absolutely. That was the first thing. Sorry, I'll le- let you go on to the other things that you were talking about. 
um, so yeah, uh, essentially that's uh, uh, that's the message that I'm trying to get out is that compromise is not a dirty word. We need to find those areas of compromise where we can for the state of Alaska. If we had found compromise on the on the pro-life stuff we wouldn't be in the boat we are right now after roe v wade's overturn we had managed to get a trigger law in place but we're so focused on on the totalitarian you know the total thing let's do it all at once well incrementalism might be the only way to get to where we want to go and we might need to you know focus on on getting that changed instead of uh, instead of the whole thing you know criminalizing and putting everybody in jail and well, some I'm, of it is very frustrating. I'm not much of a sports guy, but I know that every football team does not attempt to throw from the 20-yard line all the way into the end zone every time, right? You go for the next down, the next 10 yards, the next 10 yards, the next 10 yards. That is the – I mean, that's how I would think of it from that perspective is that we have to do it by incrementalism because that's how we got here. You could throw a Hail Mary into the end zone, but nine times out of ten, nothing happens. Um, and and I think that is, you know, sure, go for the Hail Mary if you can. But in the meanwhile, you should be focused on moving the state back towards more freedom, more liberty. And and I think that is what eventually is going to get us there in the long run. Sure, I agree. And what the most frustrating thing of, of all of it is that those uh, activists and those far-right conservatives, they want to bind me to them. They don't want to buy any caucus, but they want me bound to their process. And uh, and I don't do that very well. I don't do a binding caucus very well because I think it is a failed leadership uh, model. And, I, and I'm not going to be bound, and my constituents' votes are not going to be bound to somebody who I disagree with their process. So. Well, I, I mean, I find it offensive that they would even ask that you vote for something, that they you guarantee your vote for something that you haven't even seen. Uh, you know, for a for a work product that you has not even been started yet, and somehow you're committing to vote for it ahead of time. To me, that is that that is the definition of insanity. Sure, I'll vote for whatever you put in front of me. Go ahead. Um, right. That makes no sense whatsoever. You know, that's what tabling an amendment. That's all you're doing is saying, "Wait a minute, I don't understand this. I could vote no, or I could table it until I do understand it, and maybe then I'll vote no. But at least I understand what I'm voting for, and that's." That's part of our Mason's manuals. That's a process. And people think, oh, you killed David Eastman's amendments. No, I didn't. We put them on the table so that we could read through them and understand them as a caucus. Right. Well, and there's also a mechanical thing, again, as far as timing and other things, that you have other things that are important as well that have to get done. So we should be prioritizing and working together. That was the other thing. I mean, a lot of these amendments that we're discussing were out of the blue. There was nobody talking about them ahead of time. He hadn't shared them with you as team members. And so, I mean, I think that, again, you can't lone wolf your way into this. There's, you know, you're one of 60. You can't lone wolf your way into it. Takes a team. Yeah, takes a team. All right, Kevin McCabe, uh, votekevinmccabe.com. We can go out there and find that uh, out there on the web and more. Kevin, thank you for coming on board this morning and joining us. We appreciate you being part of it, and uh, we look forward to uh, talking with you again soon. Michael, as always, I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the dialogue. All right, well, thanks for coming on board and joining us. We appreciate it. Yes, sir. Uh, Kevin McCabe, our guest here. The Michael Duke Show continues. We've got uh, more coming up. Uh, here in just a moment. We're about to jump back into it. We're going to cover a few more headlines and we're going to open up the phone lines as well because uh, 
I want to hear what you guys have to say. So feel free to uh, dial us up here in just a moment. We're going to get the phone lines cranked up, and we'll be back. Hour two right now, The Michael Duke Show. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world, on the internet, and around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator, uh, FM translator. For those of you, translators are only FM. I just want to let you, there is no AM translators because they translate AM to F. Just, that's backdoor radio though. If I, try, if I say translator, it's an FM translator. There you go. The Michael Duke Show. Hi and good morning to you. How are you doing? Don't forget, as always, you can also check us out on the interwebs on Facebook. Uh, Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show. Also on YouTube, on Twitch. We're everywhere. We're um, we're omnipresent. That's uh, what we're doing here this morning. It's hour two of the big radio show, and we just finished up with uh, Representative Kevin McCabe, who came in and joined us to talk a little bit about his run, uh, his uh, post-primary thoughts on his uh, seat and on many of the other seats as well. And uh, you are, uh, uh, you're welcome to go back and listen to that on the podcast, which is available wherever podcasts are sold or given away. Podcasts are not sold. You know what I mean. Wherever you find good podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and of course, my favorite, Spotify. So uh, you can go out there and find us there as well. So hour two of the show today, um, we're going to do, it's kind of a two-part thing. So first and foremost, uh, because it is one of my most enjoyable things, and I've talked about this before, but I love talking to you, the listeners. So we're going to uh, open up the phone lines this morning, and we're going to start taking phone calls at 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150. Uh, and so I want to hear from you as far as anything that we've been talking about today. I want to, you know, or any of the topics that we've uh, kind of hit on. I want to hear that. I'm also going to be doing some headlines here uh, in just a minute. And we're going to talk about <clears throat> a couple different things. Um, but specifically, I'm going to end up talking about bureaucracy and licensing, um, especially professional licensing and how that has become such a boondoggle for businesses and entrepreneurs and things like that, um, it is uh, it it's uh, 
it's it's a big deal to me personally, and I and I find it frustrating uh, to the extreme. And we'll talk a little bit. There's a new story that kind of ties into that, and we're going to jump into that uh, to begin with. Um, I mentioned it earlier uh, that, of course, the new votes have now been tabulated, the votes that have come in since Election Day, and they released the results a couple days ago. And so if you haven't heard uh, as to how everything sits right now on the ranked choice voting for the special general election, which took place on the 16th, for the U.S. Congress seat, the U.S. House seat, um, Nancy Peltola now has consolidated her lead a little bit, gaining a point or two. She now sits at 38.9% of the vote. Uh, Sarah Palin uh, is at 31.4% of the vote. Nick Baggage is at 28.2% of the vote. And in the fourth position are basically all the write-in candidates with 1.5% of the vote. Now, I've seen a lot of uh, speculation. Uh, I've seen different headlines and things like that showing, oh, look, Mary Mary can win. Her long shot has become a lot shorter and she can do uh, all these other things. Um, to which I would say... I think it's still a hard road for her, uh, even though she is in first place right now, as is with many ranked choice votes that you've seen that have taken place across the country. Historically, it seems like when you get into multiple rounds, uh, meaning that you have to you know, cut candidates off and move their votes and do things like that, it seems like the number two position more, than, more often than not ends up being the winner of those races. Um, Mary Peltola with 38.9% of the vote is only 40%. Uh, well, 38.9, but it's close, you know, it's close to that 40% threshold. Meanwhile, Sarah Palin and Nick Begich combined between the two of them essentially have 60% of the vote. So the question here is going to be how many people who voted for either Sarah or Nick voted for the other as their second choice candidate? And in specifically, since Nick is in third place at this point, lagging by three points, the question is how many of Nick Begich supporters wrote in Sarah Palin as their number two pick. Um, there will be a first round where they drop off the lowest number, which would be the write-in candidates. Um, and in that case, for my example, as I said earlier, I wrote in Chris By and voted for him as my number one choice, uh, knowing that you know, knowing that it was probably not. But I also wrote in Nick Begich as my number two choice and Sarah Palin as my number three. So if the... If the if if it falls out the way the rank choice is supposed to, then what'll happen is they'll eliminate the fourth position. My second place votes will then go to Nick Baggage. We'll see if that makes a difference. I don't think it will because again, Palin is almost three points ahead of Baggage, and there's only 1.5 percent write-in candidates. So even if all of them put Nick Baggage as their second, which is very doubtful, he still would not have enough to reach Palin, which would lead us to a third round. Right now, you've eliminated the fourth position, so now you eliminate the third position, which would be Nick Baggage. And so then the question is, how many of those second choice, or in my case, third choice votes, would then go to Sarah Palin? And um, I think that again, this is going to be Sarah's race to lose in the in the long run. Now, in the primary for that same race, remember because we voted for both the general and for the primary. Peltola now holds a 36% of, of the vote, Palin basically 30, uh, and Nick Begich at 26. 
Tara Sweeney came in fourth, but we now know that Tara Sweeney has dropped out. She had 3.7% of the vote. It'll be interesting to see how many people uh, in that race voted uh, as a second choice, what their second choice vote was for Sweeney. My vote, my bet, is that the majority of people who voted for Tara Sweeney will probably, if they chose a second place vote, they more than likely chose Mary Peltola which would mean that a big chunk of that 3.7% vote will go to Mary Peltola, which would put her closer to where we are at in the special general election where she is at 38.9, almost 39%. But by Sarah, uh, by uh, Tara Sweeney dropping out, um, and, and of course this is a primary, so nobody voted for her second, you know what I'm saying, but those voters would move into that direction. Uh, but by dropping out, Chris By, the libertarian, with only 0.6% of the vote, has now moved into the fourth position. And, um, I mean, I think I hear libertarians clapping everywhere all over the state, how happy they are to see that. Now, does does that mean that Chris has much of a chance? Probably not. Now, if, if Nick Begich and Sarah Palin keep tearing at each other in their campaigning, which is a total mistake, by the way, Told, we saw, I mean, the, 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 the knives came out in this campaign and, and, and I think the baggage campaign really kind of went that direction to begin with. And, and I think that that turns Alaskans off. I think that turns people in general off, but especially Alaskans, Kevin and I were just talking about that earlier, the ad hominem attack. You can make policy differences. You could talk about different points. You could even say that, uh, you know, you could even talk about Sarah Palin leaving. I think that that's a legitimate thing. Now, whether I, I didn't agree that she quit, I agree that she had to step down for things to progress, but you could still use it as a legitimate talking point without tearing into the other candidate. Um, but it'll be interesting to see that we have a fourth candidate on the ballot who is a libertarian. And we'll see where that goes from here. It also gives Chris some really good name recognition for any future office that he may decide to uh, to take on. And I would love to see Chris by in any position, state legislature, borough assembly, I mean, whatever. I would love to see him in any of those positions because I think he could uh, – I, th- I think he's got a, a good head on his shoulders and I'd love to see that. Of course, in the U.S. Senate races, we've got Lisa Murkowski in number one position with 44.6%, Chewbacca with 39.3%, Pat Chesbro 6.6%, Buzz Kelly with 2.2%. Now, this is a much tougher race. I think that this is Lisa's race to lose. Again, with 44.6% of the vote, this is just in the primary, meaning that uh, all four of these folks will be in the ranked choice voting election. But if I was a betting man, I would say that uh, the people that voted for Pat Chesbro uh, as, uh, for in the primary, when it comes to the ranked choice time and those four candidates are on the ballot, that they are probably more likely to mark Lisa Murkowski as their second choice. Um, because, again, she probably more closely aligns with the Chesbro voters than either Shabaka or Buzz Kelly does. And so... It uh, And that would put her with 44.6% for Lisa and 6.6% for Pat. That would put her over the 50% mark. Now, nothing shaped in stone. Things could happen. We're two months away from that vote. But I think it's an interesting, uh, I think it's an interesting thing to, uh, to look at and to, uh, to think about as we go through. And finally, the new results for the governor's race, 41% for Dunleavy, 
22.6 for Guerra, 22.4 for Walker, and uh, Charlie Pierce and Edie Grunewald coming in with 6.8%. Um, so no clear winner here on either one of these. If uh, Even if uh, Pierce and, uh, and Grunewald drop out and most of their voters, and again, I would encourage everybody to rank the red in November, even if all of their second place votes went to uh, uh, Mike Dunleavy, we're still a little bit short of that full 50% majority. So you're going to have to see Kirka voters, uh, voters for Walden and Lang and Haig, and then the Libertarians and the AIP candidates. You're going to have to see them move towards Dunleavy for him to have a solid lock. But again, He's got a significant lead right now. So it's going to be this is going to be all interesting to watch. Again, the the primary is nothing more than just kind of a quick poll and a touchstone to see where we're at. But I find it I find it fascinating to talk about those things and to uh, take a look at that. So uh, be be looking out for that. And even even must read Alaska I had to laugh is asking about who is Chris by. Um, and of course, I think Chris is really the only exposure that he's really gotten uh, is uh, on this radio program. Uh, I don't know as he's spent much time in other radio programs or in front of uh, uh, reporters for anything else because, let's face it, he was the libertarian. I mean, he's 0.6% of the overall state vote. It's not like he was a huge candidate. Uh, but I am very, very grateful, and I'm happy to see that he is getting some exposure. I wish Sean Thorne, who was on the uh, uh, who was on the uh, the Senate race, I wish he had gotten a little bit more exposure on this as well. So. We'll see. We'll see how it all runs out. Okay, I've got one line on hold, uh, and I've had them on hold for a bit, and I apologize. I just wanted to finish that up. I've got just a couple minutes here before we have to go to break, but let's go over to the phones first, and we'll see what you have to say. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Good morning, Michael. This is Ron in North Pole. Hello, sir. What's on your mind? Well, I need your help with something here. Okay. Uh, recently, I've been hearing a number of uh, radio ads uh, against the uh, CONCON. And the problem I'm having with it is uh, at the end of all these uh, radio commercials, political or otherwise, there's always a disclaimer. And uh, the folks that are doing the disclaimer, they make Ben Shapiro sound like he's from Alabama. And uh, I'm trying to figure out just who these folks are. Uh, the top three contributors to the Defend Our Constitution, which is the name of the group that is pushing the No on One campaign, the top three contrib- uh, contributors to the Defend Our Constitution group are the thirteen, excuse me, the 1630 Project out of Washington, D.C., which is a progressive. Uh, just look up 1630 Project. and uh, Sorry, 1630 Fund, not Project. The 1630 Fund. Uh, you can see where they're at. The second contributor is NEA Alaska. And the third is the IBEW. So all you have to do is look at who's funding this to realize whether you should support that idea or not, Ron. Okay, that uh, that helps a great deal. Thank you so much. No problem. Uh, I love it when they they follow the letter of the law, if not the spirit of the law. If it's sped up so fast that you can't even figure out who the supporters are, I would question whether that was a legitimate ad or not, quite honestly. And as a citizen, Ron? Well, maybe... Was a citizen, you would have the ability to go to APOC and complain about that to say I can't understand who they are. Um, so that's something well, you... it may it may in fact just it, it may in fact just be me, but uh, like I say, it is awfully quick. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, I appreciate you asking that question. As I said, I mean, I'm looking more and more, you know, this goes back to that old axiom of follow the money, right? Um, follow the money. And yes, I, I'm doing very that, much so. I'm doing that with not only with things like this and the CONCOM, but I'm also doing it with candidates. Who is supporting these candidates? Who is the people that are behind or advising? Uh, because they all talk a good game. But I want to see who's behind them, and uh, and and we're going to be bringing that out as we interview and talk with different people and talk about different candidates, who is supporting who, because I think that goes a lot farther in showing who they are than in just the talking points that we're seeing in a lot of these ads. So, I look forward to that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate you coming in and uh, joining us this morning. <laughs> Okay, um, I got more coming up. The phone lines are still open at 907-433-3150. If you'd like to call in, we'd love to hear from you this morning. This hour of the program, by the way, being brought to you by your friends at Satellite West. You can find them at SatelliteWest.com, Satellite Technical Services. Uh, they're all about communication, whether it's satellite communication, cellular communication, UHF, VHF, uh, carrier pigeons, scribbled notes, or even tin cans with a string strung between them. These guys are the experts. They will find you a way to communicate in the state of Alaska. Find out more at SatelliteWest.com. We're going to continue. i got my stories coming up and bureaucracies and licensing, plus the whole student loan debt thing. I am going to touch on it, even though it's not normally my thing. It infuriates me so much. We're going to talk about that as well. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now. Uh, Yeah. Uh, we are, uh, doing our thing here. Let me go back and, ow, (laughs) did you hear that? Uh, let's go back and take a look at what you guys are saying here in the chat room, just to kind of get a feel for what's, uh, going on. Um, okay. Uh, translators, um, either Nick or Sarah needs to bow out so we don't get slammed with the Democrats, said Jonathan. Jonathan, in that race, I don't think that they, I don't think that they need to. I think it will, I think it will weed itself out. I am predicting right now that I think Sarah Palin will win that race. Um, again, maybe if it was the other way around where Nick was second and Sarah was third, I would be a little more worried because I think I've seen a lot of Sarah Palin voters basically saying, oh, I'm just going to vote for Sarah and that's it. I'm just one and done. They're not ranking the red. Um, but I think Nick Baggage voters would have uh, more of a, uh, of a propensity based – and this is all anecdotal. This is just based on my observation of comments in the chat room and talking to people out on the street. Um, but I think Nick, Peg, uh, Nick uh, Baggage uh, uh, voters would have a, a, a higher propensity uh, for voting for Sarah as their second place candidate. Um, but I think he needs, to, he needs to lay off the negativity. I mean, seriously. Lay off the negativity. Um, let's see. Uh, I wrote in Chris By in on two. He'll be on the Esk- uh, He'll be on the uh, ballot in November. Yeah, that's what we were just talking about. Uh, Eskimo Libertarian. I'm excited about that. I'm very excited about that. Um, 
maybe their ranked choice voting backfired on them. They thought the D candidate would be our second or third. Uh, possibly, maybe. Um, on the ranked choice side of the ballot, says Christopher on YouTube, I wrote uh, Chris By in on one and Sarah second. So that's close to what I did. Same kind of thing. Um, let's keep our fingers crossed that Eager Baggage or Palin have enough number two votes so we have either as a winner, says Edie. And I agree. I, I agree as well. By the way, Charlie Pierce is going to be joining us on Monday. Uh, Charlie's going to come on the program at 7.05 on Monday, and we're going to talk with him about those uh, results and being in number four. Edie, we'd love to hear from you uh, sometime, too, as to what your thoughts are now that you guys are going to be appearing on the ranked choice ballots. Brian says he's not libertarian enough for some libertarians. That is the classic libertarian problem in a nutshell. If I had one thing to point out about libertarians is that it's this purity test. You're not libertarian enough for all of Oh, God. Just, okay, fine. Whatever. It, that, is a, that is the libertarian problem in a nutshell right there. Um. <clears throat> I'm just going through looking at some of these. I'm not thrilled about any of these Senate candidates as Eskimo Libertarian. Eh, you know, I, I'm, I've got issues with pretty much all of them as well, but some are definitely better than others. Um, let's see. No, sure. Lisa's bought it paid for. Um, Dunleavy needs to sign a bill to give the Libertarian Party political status. I... Yeah, I don't know if the governor, I mean, I think the governor can do that all on his own. He'd have to have an actual bill in front of him. Uh, dark money, says Terry. Uh, okay. Most people don't realize that APOC comes after individuals who support candidates on their own dime. Yeah, for independent expenditures. Uh, you best cross your T's and dot your I's for independent expenditures. If you're supporting a candidate and... And doing that, you best make sure that you got all your ducks in a row on that. Um, it's too late to get a student loan for is it uh, is it too late to get a student loan for free ten grand worth of education? Yes, you had to have the loan by July first. That was one of the things that I read this morning. Um, barrier to entry is extremely restricting to our economy. Alaska has been ranked as the worst near the worst state to start a business. And Eskimo Libertarian. That is part of our problem. But it's not. this is not just a state of Alaska problem. This is just – I'm going to get into that, the whole occupational licensing and all that stuff because I personally find it offensive for a variety of reasons. And we'll get into that here in, in just a minute as well. All right. The ding means we got to get back to it. Please, if you haven't gone over to YouTube and hit subscribe and rung the bell yet, you can do that and then jump right back to Facebook. So if you haven't liked me and subscribed on YouTube, please do that and then come back. That's what I need. All right, we're continuing on this morning. 
Phone lines are open, so I want to hear from you if you guys have got a question on uh, anything or want to talk about anything that we've hit on today, or, you know, quite honestly, pretty much any topic. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, and uh, would love to hear what your thoughts are on it overall. So feel free to give us a call, 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150. Two topics still to uh, dive into this morning. Before I get into my whole issue on occupational licensing and that kind of stuff, let me touch on this. Now, normally I don't dive into uh, I don't dive into uh, national issues too much because I figured there's plenty of people doing that, and there's not a whole lot of stuff that we can do about that. Um, you know, from where we sit uh, as the little people. But this is so infuriating to me in so many ways. Um, I just don't even know where to begin. The ADN has got a repeat of a Washington Post article that's up right now talking about the president's commitment to eliminate or cancel some of the federal student debt. Uh, This is money that was loaned to these students from the federal government. And that debt is held by millions of, Amer- uh, of Americans. Uh, the president has now released a plan. And after years of debate and, and, and pushback and everything else, has finally said he's doing it. So under this new plan that's just being, and so you may have heard about this or not, I don't know. But under the new plan, borrowers of this federal student loan money can qualify for up to $10,000 in student loan forgiveness. Now, if they were also recipients of Pell Grants, they are eligible for an additional $20,000 of student loan forgiveness. Now, only borrowers who are earning under $125,000 a year or for married couples filing jointly, $250,000 a year, only they are eligible to qualify. The Biden administration also announced that it is extending the current moratorium on student loan payments until December 31st. You'll remember that during the early days of the pandemic, uh, there was a moratorium placed on repaying student loans because people were out of work or there was a lot of things. So here we are going on close to coming up on three years of a moratorium on student loan payments. And they've implemented a new cap on the maximum monthly payments of undergraduate borrowers, among other changes. According to White House estimates, we're talking about 43 million, 43 million student loan borrowers are going to be eligible for this forgiveness. $10,000 times $43 million, you do the math. Uh, about 20 million of those 40 would have their debt completely wiped out. The policy would deliver the single largest discharge of education debt in U.S. history. Um, and then there's a bunch of parts about, you know, who qualifies? How do you get student loans? You know, how, will private loans be forgiven? No. What happens if you've paid off your loan? I mean, if you can, you know, can I take loans out now and have them forgiven? Nope. They had to be done by July 1. Um, I mean, what about uh, foreign or forgiven student? Will I have to pay taxes on it? Will it make inflation worse? What happens if I've already, I, I mean, this thing is, it's just insane. Now, the question is, what is this going to do to the economy? So, 
I mean, not only is, is this a huge boondoggle because we've seen with the advent of uh, federal loans and everything else, every time that they do something with the federal student loan thing, the price and cost of education at the university level just goes up tremendously uh, because, you know, you obviously are feeding the machine and they know that they're getting this quote unquote free money. And so they jack up the prices. But what would it do to wipe all of this student debt out? What is going to happen? Well, according to the Committee for Responsible Federal Budgets, which is a D.C. think tank that is opposed to the cancellation, the previous estimates that an additional one-year pause in student debts would mean raising the inflation rate by 0.2% and canceling the $10,000 per borrower for households under $300,000 would raise it by an additional 0.15%. So now we're talking about 0.17% inflation rate, which may not sound like much because it's under 1%, but it all adds up, especially when you're at what, between 8 and 11%, depending on what kind of goods or services we're talking about. Here's the big thing. You may be like, oh, what's the big deal of canceling student debt for all these people? According to this same study, canceling $10,000 in student debt while restarting the payments, which is not happening, they're canceling it and keeping the payments stalled, would roughly translate into a $75 cost for Americans. So you may not have any student debt, but you're now on the hook for 75 bucks, every one of you, for all that stuff. Um, and that does not account for the additional debt for the Pell Grant recipients, which is a double. So now we're talking about well over $100 per person in the U.S. to pay for all these people who are, well, they're bums. That's what they are. They're bums. You borrowed the money. You promised to pay the money. I went to college for one semester. I took a loan. It took me three years, four years to pay that loan back. And it was painful. And I wish I hadn't done it. But I did. But I paid it back. It took me a while. Um, <clears throat> it was not a fun time for me. Let's just put it that way. Um, the cost, the ultimate cost of canceling that $10,000 of student debt for households under $300,000 a year would be roughly $230 billion. That number but does not account for the larger amount for the Pell Grants and everything else. They said that those measures could drive the overall price to between $400 and $600 billion. But that's just preliminary. They said but those are just preliminary numbers. It's just, it's, you are going to make the middle class the uneducated, uh, the undereducated people who are not, you know, middle class, non-college goers, the trades, the, the blue collar professions and people who have paid off their student loans. You're going to make all of those people pay for the folks who took a loan and are too deadbeat to go pay it back. I, it's just, I mean, that is the height of uh inequity as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I mean, I'm just, it's, it's, it's mind boggling, mind boggling that we're even addressing this at this point. All right, let's go back to the phones. Uh, we'll take, uh, take another call here before we go to break. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Randy in Fairbanks. Hello, Randy. What's on your mind? Oh, I just, 
hope people keep in mind one issue that they should think about when voting, when thinking about voting, and that's the LGBT anti-discrimination laws that they're trying to force on us in various places. And um, this is nothing against gay people at all. I have nothing against gay people, but I'm very much against any anti-discrimination law that's directed to the private sector. It takes away basic fundamental human freedoms, which is our our freedom to choose what we want. And uh, two particular races are come glaringly up on this issue, and that is the one for Scott Kawasaki, because in uh, in uh, 2019, March 8, uh, 2019, he introduced SB 82, which would have added the um, gender identity and gender um, sexual orientation thing to the uh, laws and the statutes and anti-discrimination measure. It didn't go anywhere, fortunately, but this came right after the city of Fairbanks uh, voted in Ordinance 6093, which was a broad, sweeping anti-discrimination thing that uh, actually covered all categories, including the kitchen sink, but mainly what it covered was was uh, uh, sexual, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, and it wanted to slam that into the uh, list of ordinances under the city of Fairbanks. Uh, fortunately, Jim Matherly vetoed that uh, a few days later because, the mayor, because he felt that the people, it was so broad and so impactful that he felt that the people of Fairbanks should have a chance to vote on that. But the proponents of these kind of ordinances, they don't want the people to vote on it. They want to slip that in. And so we got two races. Um, um, uh, Valerie Therrien is running for mayor. She was one of the four people, the four left-wing people that voted for this way back in 2019. Right. And then Scott Kawasaki, a few days later, wanted to put the hammer down again on on a statewide basis and introduced his SB 82 along the same lines. So those two people should not be in government, in my opinion. All right. Well, that's a it's a good point. I I appreciate you calling in, Randy. I, we've talked about this discrimination bill and some of the other things that they've been doing, and it was one of the things I think it was one of the shining moments for Jimmy Matherly um, as he did that. And I agree. I, I agree that I I think that was a seminal moment, and it's something that we should continue to be on the watch for. I don't think that we uh, you know I don't think we need to break that down, especially since we already have federal laws that cover the majority of this stuff as well. So, all right. Well, look at that. My phone is ringing, um, and it looks like uh, looks like I got Representative Ben Carpenter on the line. But we're coming up on the break, so we're going to do that real quick. We're going to take our break, and we will come back with more. The Michael Duke Show continues. Your home for common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We'll return with more in just a moment. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Okay, uh, we're in the break right now. Um, Ben Carpenter is, uh, I think, on the line here with us. Ben, what's up? Hey, good morning, Michael. I, uh, I can't stay silent on this uh, issue with the president. And I know it's out of state and it's outside my lane as a state representative, but it, it chafes me like no, nobody's business. That what he's done with regards to student loans is, uh, is moral turpitude. It is morally wrong. 
to force other people to pay for somebody else's debt. And we, we should not get numb to this. We shouldn't allow ourselves to just say, oh, this is, I guess, the new normal. We need to be incensed by it. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm definitely incensed by it since, uh, you know, my again, I had 30 years ago, I had taken a student loan and I didn't repay it to begin with. And then it started to accumulate and build and fines and penalties. And I ended up spending a lot of money uh, and having wages garnish and all kinds of stuff. But I ended up eventually paying it off. But I did it. I didn't ask for anybody else to do it. I may not have handled it properly, but I didn't ask for anybody else to bail me out. I paid for it. And the fact, and that was a pretty small amount overall. But if you are making $125,000 a year or $250,000 as a married couple, you're telling me you can't afford to pay off a, a, a student loan? Then why did you take it in the first place? I totally agree. I'm in the same boat. I took out student loans just out of high school, and it took me decades to pay them off. It wasn't easy. It was it was a sacrifice. I had to make sacrifices to make sure that I made those payments every month. But I wasn't I wasn't asking somebody else to pay them off. And it, it's just this is why I'm saying that it's not just a financial matter. It's not just a budget item. It is a moral. Um, it is a moral problem that we accept this, and that our that our so-called leaders would accept it. And we've got people within our own legislature that are, that think this is okay. Right. You should ask the people. You should ask them. Ask the people who want your vote whether they agree with uh, uh, subsidizing student loans in this way, right? Right. Transferring, transferring the debt. It tells you where their moral moral fiber is. Right. No, I, I mean, I agree. And I, and I know that there's a lot of people out there who are philosophically like education should be free and everything. Well, great. Then fight for free education. But don't take people who have already knowingly and willingly taken on this debt and the responsibility of it and obliviate all that and make people who are in the middle class who didn't take the debt, who didn't get a college degree or who did and paid off their Don't make all those other people pay for it. If you want free education, then fight for free education in the terms of it's all free to begin with. Don't take people who already acknowledged, said they would pay it back, promised they would pay it back, and give them a free ride on the backs of everybody else. You're right. It's a moral question. I, I would take it one step further, Michael, and I, I don't know how they're paying for this, but if this is coming out of debt, if they're servicing this with debt, then it is the next generation that is going to pay that debt off. And you are taxing people that aren't even alive yet. Right. Well, and that's the thing, Ben. They don't even know how they're paying. There's no fiscal notes on how they, they don't even know how much it's going to cost. The estimate is between four and six hundred million, a billion rather. That's a big, first of all, it's a huge number. Second of all, there's a big divergence there between $400 and $600 billion. And how are they going to, they don't have that kind of money laying around. They had to borrow all this money for the, for the infrastructure program and everything else. Where are they going to get that money? And this is not like an ongoing, oh, we'll pay for it over a course of years. When they do it, it all goes away now. Yeah, I just, I'd like to draw people's attention to, um, damaging our societal fiber, damaging our moral fiber, has a consequence. We, we, we like to think that it doesn't. We don't want to talk about it, but it has a consequence. And having served in the military and having dealt with um, what is a, come to be known as a moral injury, it is something that you have to recover from. It is something that you have to 
deal with. And this is no different. This is this is a slap in the face. It is a, a moral slight to Americans. And if you if you deal with it by just ignoring it and by normalizing it, then we're just we're just down that slippery slope, and, and there is no moral equivalency. Our government and our way of life here is inadequate to deal with a society that, that doesn't have some, can't um, sustain itself with some basic morals. Yeah. And forcing somebody else to pay for my debt is just an example of how, how, um, how far we've come down that moral yeah. slope. Oh, absolutely, Ben. I couldn't agree more, my friend. I couldn't agree more. Well, hey, thanks anyway, for thanks for sounding off of this. Yeah, that's all I wanted to say, Michael. Have a good day. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Representative Ben Carpenter calling in and uh, letting his voice be heard on this. Uh, I I agree. I think it's a. I, I think I couldn't agree more with him. All right, we're coming down to the break here. We got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like and share. Like and share. Let's go. Let's do it. Right. Uh, welcome back to the program. Um, we, just, we just took a call off air, Representative Ben Carpenter, irate about this uh, issue of the student loan debt. And he makes a point that it's not just this is not just a financial issue. This is a moral issue. When we're eroding the fiber of American society to say it's OK to take a loan and then expect to be forgiven later on, it's OK to borrow money. Um, and make a promise to pay it back and under the now again people say well but they had no idea that um, no I'm sorry when you borrow money you've got to think about all those things you've got to think about what is this going to cost me in the long run this is how much I'm borrowing what's the principal what's the interest what's the cost going to be what's going to be going on you are responsible for all that and why is it morally just to make people who have never taken out those loans or who have taken out the loans and paid them back why is it morally justified to make those people pay for the difference? And how is it going to be paid for? Is it going to be paid for? Uh, is it going to be paid for by uh, uh, by more debt? Are our children's children going to be paying off the loans for a lot of these people? Um, I found it interesting in the article, and I, I, I want to get on to my other thing. I don't know if I'm going to have time to get on my other thing here. But I found it interesting in the article that uh, they said that with this debt, uh, 43 million people would be eligible for a $10,000. for That's a minimum of $10,000, by the way, because if you got Pell Grant, it was $20,000. But they said 43 million people would be eligible, but that 20 million would have their debt completely wiped out. Now. $10,000 in debt is not that much money. I mean, I, I'm just saying that, right? $10,000 is not that much. And if they've got a cap of $125,000 or $250,000 per year for a married couple, why? 
So half of the people have $10,000 or less in debt. Why would we wipe that out? Because again, it plays into this mantra of government providing everything. And uh, also, again, I think it is, again, a moral erosion of where we're at, that this is okay, that we're going to make everybody else pay. This is, I, I, I mean, I hate to sound like one of the conspiracy people, but this sounds a lot like wealth redistribution at this level. Everybody should pay, you know, uh, and of course, now that it's coming out, nobody can go out there and get their own loan to do. And of course, private loans are not covered. This is only for federal loans. No, they have to be loans held and originated by private lenders are ineligible. So, I mean, they, you know, you, you, you can't anything. So if you borrowed money from a friend, a relative, a bank, or did anything else and didn't do the federal loans, you're SOL, sorry. Sort of out of luck. That's what it is there. So, all right, let's go over to the phones to see what you guys have to say. I don't think I'm going to get to this occupational licensing thing because I don't have enough. I really want to get ahead of steam up on that. Maybe we'll save that for Monday. Let's go over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hello? Are you with us, caller? Nope. They just, they hung up just as I went to them. All right, we'll go over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Carlene and Kodiak. Hello, Carlene. Um, Michael, I'm eligible for a lot of things, but I don't go and pursue it because it would be taking down America and they'll just be printing more money and people need to do a lot of research and, and figure out the consequences, even in these little children that are getting this sex uh, changes through surgery. You know, people really need to check things out. We can't be lemmings. We need to think for ourselves. What you're, um, ta what you're talking about, Carlene, is consideration. What you're talking about is the consideration of the long-term consequences of your action. And we seem to be lacking that in our society today. People are only thinking they're living for the moment, YOLO, right? I mean, they're only thinking about tomorrow or the next election cycle or how I feel right now. Uh, yeah, I need to borrow student loans because I've got to go to college. Of course, I've got to go to college. They don't look around them and look at the long-term effects of people who do go to college and who actually is, succeeds and who actually needs a college degree. They don't talk about when you're talking about gender reassignment surgery for kids. They don't think about what is the long I mean, it, it, you're right. We're, 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 we don't have that long-term vision. We're not thinking in terms of decades or lifetimes now. We're thinking about just today, maybe tomorrow, and that's it. It's about right and wrong. No, I mean, I would agree with that as well. I mean, I think it is a, it's a financial, but it is also a moral issue, right? Yes. Yes, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Carlene. I appreciate you uh, calling in this morning. Uh, 433-3150, if you would like to sound off and want to call in, we got. Uh, we're, I guess we're just going to take calls till the end of the hour this morning, see what you have to say, or we'll take some comments out of the chat room. Let's go over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, good morning, Michael. This is Cindy from Sterling. How are you? Hello, Cindy. What is, uh, what's on your mind this morning here? I know I saw you sent me a message on Facebook. I haven't read it yet, but uh, what's going on? No, it's not that. No, no. My comment on the student loan thing is these colleges, um, they manipulate these kids. Um, I know of one student, and she was so close to getting her engineering degree 
that she had to take an entire semester for a measly three-credit course, paying an extra six or seven, I, I don't know how much money it was, but that's what happened. I mean, in order to graduate, they manipulated these financial aid officers. They're, they're wonderful at doing it, too, because they know them. it's just a, a money drip into the, the system. And uh, the hilarious story here is the, the diploma came to the student, postage due. True story. I... <laughs> This whole thing, it, it is, it, it's become, and, and as I said, we, we've broken this down in the past where we've talked about the machine and, and the business that is uh, higher education these days and how it has become conjoined at the hip with the federal government through federal spending and how you've seen the increase in the cost of higher education. It, it goes commensurately with all these uh, federal programs and federal dollars and everything else, how it just ratcheted up and up and up. The more federal dollars that become available, the higher the cost of higher education. Why? Because they knew there would be more money there. That's what it's all about. And that's what it is. And that is the thing. Now, I'm happy to say that it seems to me, luckily, that more and more people are starting to figure out that the mantra of get a good education, you know, go to college, get a good education, you'll get a good job, you'll be successful, that they found out that that is not necessarily the case, that you don't need a college for your college degree to be able to be successful and go out there. And so that is starting to fall off. And I'm glad to see it because that is how this mantra has ruled us for the last 35 or 40 years and made, and put ter a tremendous amount of people in debt created this industry of higher education that is a you know a leech on the side of both the people and the government and everything else there are only there are very few things that you really you know if you're an engineer if you're a doctor there are certain specific things that you could go to college for but for the most part most people just got a college degree because their parents said you need a college degree most of them 70% plus never get a job in their field of study and it makes no it is money wasted and maybe that's part of it maybe they're bitter because they went to college they got they got the education that they were supposed to get and then they never got a job that utilized any of that and they're bitter about having to pay it back over 20 years maybe that's it i don't know but it is it, it, it is frightening to see how the industrial, the, the education industrial complex, if you want to use a phrase, has gone hand in hand with this stuff and how it is basically ruining a good chunk of America. I agree with that rant. I do. <laughs> yeah, good. It is a rant, and that's exactly where it belongs. All right. Well, it's your data rant, not mine. Thanks. So have a good day, okay? Th thanks, Cindy. I appreciate it. Let's go over here. Uh, Greg, before I go to this other call, Greg makes a great point that I didn't even touch on, and he said, it's an election year. They're buying votes. And that could be a good part. I mean, they're scrambling, right? They need those votes. Democrats are, I mean, they're on the downside Maybe this is a way to say, look, we gave you free. Look at what we did for you. Maybe. Is it buying votes? I don't know. Let's go over here. Good morning. Who's this? Hi, this is Lori in Homer, Alaska. Hello, Lori. What's on um, your mind? I'd just like to add to the rant. I just I got to hurry up and get into work, but I just wanted to add to the rant. I have uh, an idea that this also might be something else going on here, too. One, it's a distraction from a lot of other things that's going on. Mm -hmm. And two, it's also divisive. You've got family members uh, that have paid off their loans versus family members who haven't, friends versus friends. I think it's just another thing to tear America apart. 
Well, I mean, I guarantee you it will be divisive um, if uh, if it gets to that point, because you're right. People who especially people who paid off their loans, they're going to be very bitter about the people who got the free ride. Uh, And whether it's family members or friends or colleagues or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be bitter because I paid off whatever I had a small. I never graduated from college, but I had a small student loan when I because I started there, and I will be bitter about having to pay my seventy-five to one hundred and fifty dollars per person to be able to pay that off. So I'm a hundred percent with you on that, Lori. Thank you so much for calling in. Let's go over here. One more call before we uh, lose the daylight here. Good morning. Who's this? Good morning, caller. Who's this? I can hear you. Who is it? This is Steve up on the bus. Hey, Steve, what's Steve up? Steve up on the bus. What's, go, what's going on? Hey, uh, long-time listener. I'm traveling. I might lose you. I'm sorry. You know, I want to totally agree with you on the uh, uneducated. You're talking to somebody here who's a, a high school dropout, um, but has managed to work his way through life. I'm 55 years old. I'm a Gen X, um, and I'm a survivor, you know, and I've made it my whole life. And if you have a little bit of common sense, there's no reason why you can't take it where you need to go. Right. Absolutely. I mean, again, having a high school diploma or a college degree, not necessarily, it's not necessary for success. You just got to find the niche in life that makes it work and you can make a living. You can do what you want. You can do rather well. I mean, I'm a high school graduate and I've done pretty well for myself. Uh, you know, that's, that, that's okay. I know plenty of people who are just high school or maybe like you didn't even graduate from high school who are doing fairly well for themselves. Um, I think buying into the yes, law, uh, I mean. Yeah, I, 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 we're out of time. Oh, Th- yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you for calling in, Steve. Sorry, we're out of time. I ran over the top of the hour. Gosh, darn it. Anyway, thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. Folks, we're out of time for today. We got to go. Uh, the Michael Duke Show. That was, I was, I, I, I love that call. I, I there's a hundred percent. And then I ran right over the top of the hour. So <laughs> there we go. That was a, that, wow, that, that, I haven't done that in forever. But uh, obviously, this is a topic that just burns me up. So I'll I'll point it at that. Uh, Christopher says, Michael, at least I have a degree hanging on the wall framed. It reminds me of all that money every time I look at it. Yep, that's about pretty much what most people got. It's like they wanted you to go to school just to prove that you could stick out for four years for something you were never going to use. We just wanted to make sure that you had the stick to itness to do it. Okay, well, great. That's, that's that's what I've got. That just, you know, what? That's just exactly right. Biggest scam there is, says Daniel. That whole mantra of get a college degree and get a good job and you'll be successful. I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy. Um, all right. Um, as opposed to a 1.5 trillion tax break for the rich... Uh, this is this is a transfer. I think I saw Rob uh, Meyer say something earlier about, oh, here it is. It's wealth redistribution from the poor and middle class will pay the taxes and inflation to the upper middle class who got the loans. I mean, it is. Are, are they just... I, I'm just... I'm... Anyway, one name, Mike Rowe, says Timothy. That's exactly it. Mike Rowe has been singing the same song that I've been singing for the last 20 years on this. You don't have to have, you do not have to have a college degree to be successful. If you want to get one, great. 
but to make everybody else pay for it just so you can hang that pigskin on the wall doesn't mean anything. You don't have to have a college degree to be successful. You can get one. Some, some occupations, it will really be a requirement that you get one. But for the vast majority of people, it, it, it's not necessary. We've been sold a bill of goods. We've been lied to. All right, my friends, we got to go. Thank you for uh, coming in and joining us. Can't believe I ran over the top of the hour. All right. We'll see you tomorrow for Firearms Friday. On Monday, Charlie Pierce is going to be with us. We'll see you then. We'll see you tomorrow first. Then we'll see you on Monday. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show